Welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we look at legal and technical issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name's Melissa Yeo, and I'm chair of the Society's Communications Subcommittee. I'm really pleased to have with me today, Matthew Hickey and Petrina McPherson. Um, Matthew Hickey is a barrister at Level 27 Chambers here in Brisbane, um, practicing in commercial and construction law, insolvency, and all manner of weird and wonderful things. (laughs) Matthew is among the best lawyers in Australia, per the Australian Financial Review in 2019 in three categories. He's also, of course, included in Doyle's Guide, as a leading counsel in commercial litigation and dispute resolution, insolvency and building and construction. And Matthew, of course, he has a very interesting past as, and I have to mention it, Matthew, as an <laughs> opera singer, um, because that is absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and and one day I, I do look forward to perhaps hearing <laughs> You never know, you're lucky to be You never silly. know, you never know. I also have with me, um, as mentioned, Petrina McPherson. Hello. Hi. Um, Petrina is a senior associate at Minter Ellison, practicing in construction law. Uh, Petrina, you may have uh, met previously at a Sokla event, a Sokla conference. She is, in her spare time, a stand-up comedian, has waxed the floor with me at the great debate at the <laughs> Suckler Conference in 2017, I believe. Yeah, I think that was about right. Yeah. Or, or 2018. Brilliant and incredibly hilarious. I'm very pleased to have her with me today as well. Today we're here to discuss um, e-trials, e-mediations, and practical considerations regarding the new forum that we find ourselves using uh, in this COVID world. Now, I will deliberately try to avoid mentioning COVID because let's face it, who isn't tired of hearing about COVID? (laughs) But what it has done is uh, completely changed the way uh, we as a profession do a number of things, um, including the way we conduct hearings. I'd like to share with you today tips and tricks for how you can make that a successful endeavor. Can I start with asking both of you to just tell us a bit about your experiences recently with the online forum and and, and how how that went for you? I have finished conducting a trial from start to finish in as an e-arbitration, I say trial, more properly a hearing, an e-arbitration hearing using that platform. So start to finish from openings to hearing of evidence, cross-examination through to closings. Mm. And we have a costs fight in a week or two's time. Also going to be online again? Also going to be online again. And and can I just ask, is that going to be online because the previous hearing was online or is the court still not entertaining people in person? Well, it was an arbitration. So, yep. Uh, and the other side are based in South Australia, our mediators in Melbourne. There are still travel bans in place, so it's just easier just to keep it online. And Matthew, how about yourself? So I was involved in an arbitration that had an interstate component. Uh, it didn't run the whole way. It resolved itself uh, before we really got into the really fun stuff. Um, but in addition, I've done a variety of hearings in the Supreme and Federal Court uh, and a number of mediations uh, recently, both as advocate and also as mediator. So um, even though Queensland's not been locked down in quite the same way, particularly our friends in Victoria has been of late, it was something that we were thrown into very quickly and had to adapt to 
And what what do you think the first thing was that really struck you when you had to um, venture into this new forum? The thing that struck me was um, all of these new things that you had to think about mm. that that you don't ordinarily have to think about if you're appearing in person. Mm. Uh, f- there's all this technological stuff, which even if you're a relatively um, tech-savvy lawyer, and that's admittedly starting at a low bar for most <laughs> of us, but, uh, you know, I like to think of myself as at least as far as barristers go, being relatively technologically adept. But there are all these sort of technological things that you had to think about which ordinarily you'd never have to give thought to. What mm. Do I have a camera? How many screens do I need? Do I have a microphone? Is my cord long enough? What's my background going to be? All of these things that typically you'd never have to think about, um, which consume brain space that ordinarily would just be focused on going to court. Coming from it as the instructing solicitor side, there was this whole level of extra level of management that occurs Mm. that you wouldn't ordinarily have to think about. Um, One of the issues, for example, we had was internet speed. I thought I'm working at a national firm. We have excellent facilities. It wouldn't be a problem. And yet we found that the we had to boost the speed of our Wi-Fi in mm. our room. Um, we had to ensure that we had enough bandwidth. Um, the IT guys tell me they had to put in an extra access point in the room. I'm not even quite sure what that means, <laughs> but it, it did boost the internet. Um, so you need more than just an internet connection and a few PowerPoints. It's a bit of logistics that goes into it. And as I understand it, certainly from my experience, um, now I haven't um, had the pleasure of uh, yet participating in an online uh, hearing, um, but I have uh, online meetings and webinars and all of that. One of the things that has become very apparent is that there's about 56 different platforms that Mm -hmm. are used for this. Um, Query, which is the best one, everyone has their favorite. But um, is that something that you noticed uh, in in doing this, that uh, you had a number of options or was there a difficulty trying to agree which one is to be used? For our trial, no. We decided to go with uh, Law & Order as our provider. And they use the Blue Jeans platform. Okay. Uh, and that for us worked very well. And I uh, found it worked better than your average WebEx or Zoom connection. It was all it was all very good. So I, I do know other providers use other things, but that worked very well for us. Yeah, the, the beauty of being at the bar is that you don't get to have any input into those sorts of decisions. <laughs> They're made for you. Um, and as a consequence, I've used... Blue Jeans and Zoom and WebEx and Pexip and um, what else? Uh, there are others. Teams. Go to. Um, go to. Uh, so, look, my experience is they are all cut of much the same cloth. Mm. They all do much the same kind of thing. But but what does intrude is, um, of course, there are differences. The buttons are in different places. Mm. The screen layouts are slightly different. The ability to configure uh, the screens varies from platform to platform. So, for instance, there are some where you can yourself as the user decide who's going to be where on the screen. We use blue jeans in the arbitration I was involved in and we we couldn't control who went where. That was all controlled by the, uh. the law and order operator. Now for me, as a bit of a control freak visually, I found that really frustrating. The fact that I couldn't decide, okay, I want the arbitrator there and I want the witness there and I want my opponent front and center. Yeah. I was stuck with what somebody else had determined. And it's mm. funny, but that those kinds of things um, disrupt your mental flow, not in a fatal kind of way, but there's just another sort of point of resistance yeah. in what's already a sort of a brain-consuming process. Mm. Um, 
And so I mention it really because it's something that, that it's worth giving thought to, I think. You know, if, you, if you're going to be engaged in an electronic hearing, it's worth within your team working out which is the platform we're going to use. And it might well be that your firm just insists on one over mm. all others. But if you've got the ability to choose your own platform, then do it. And if you've got the opportunity to bring your counsel in early and say, this is the platform we're going to be using, here's how it works and set it up the way you like it, then that's a strategic advantage. Mm. It seems to me that you can exercise over your opponents if you wish to. Mm. And so you mentioned, Petrina, that there's a lot of planning and organization and things that you have to think about that you wouldn't ordinarily have to think about. Do you have any sort of insights that you can share as to how you might cover all of those off or what you'd need to prepare for um, in case of emergency, your internet drops out, your tech fails, your dog runs in? (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, um, you need a a hearing protocol. Mm. And so in the hearing that we did, we had the hearing protocol that was agreed with law and order, but we also agreed to a number of directions uh, between the parties as to how the matter would be run. One of them, for example, was to advise who would be in the room Um, because that's one thing that you lose uh, being in separate locations is you can't see who the other side have sitting in a room. So uh, we put in a direction that the both parties had to advise who would be attending or who uh, could possibly be hearing any part of the arbitration, given that the arbitrations are meant to be private. We took a very conservative approach and we listed everybody from um, the myself, counsel, uh any junior lawyers that may be in the room, the catering staff who might walk in. Um, we made sure we disclosed everybody that could be there. Um, and throughout the hearing, uh, for example, council wanted to bring a reader from their chambers and we just let the other side know. So that was one thing. How you're going to set up the room is another. Yeah. Um, we adopted a very traditional setup. So one of the silver linings of COVID um, is that our offices weren't being used. When the arbitration was taking place, it was a time when the majority of staff were working from home. So we were able to commandeer um, two of the boardrooms to set up and do it in there on premises. If you're not don't have that luxury, you will have to think about space um, and it could be that you have to hire a room or a dedicated space to have things set up the way you ordinarily would in an arbitration. Um, So that where are you going to hold it? Who's going to be walking in and out of it? Um, And then sort of putting on to, um, continuing on with Matthew's point, we set up our room very traditionally. We had the bridge manager in the middle of the room. So the bridge manager was the guy from Law and Order who was actually controlling people's microphones and making sure the internet connections were happening and working. So he made sure that people weren't on mute. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, the phrase um, of 2020. Yes, making sure you're on mute and not... I yes. can see you, but I can't hear you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on mute. There was a little bit of that that happened. Um, we had a table for counsel and the instructing solicitor. We had another table for our witnesses. Now, one of the interesting things that I must admit I didn't immediately turn my mind to was 
as I said, we set it up as a fairly standard courtroom. We put our witness in a table in a corner and it was actually the bridge operator that said to me, did the other side know you're going to have the witness in the same room? And I went, well, I assume so. I hadn't even thought about it. And uh, he said, oh, in a lot of these I do, the witnesses are in separate rooms. And I, okay. So I wrote to the other side and I said, look, this is our setup. We're going to have the witness in the room. If you want to have an independent witness, uh, sorry, an independent lawyer come and supervise that, you're very welcome to. Now, they didn't take us up on that. Um, but I did notice that our opponents, they put their witnesses in a separate room. So that's something to think about. Yeah. Um, and just Certainly get- not something that would immediately spring to mind. You just... No, and if the guy hadn't brought it to my attention, it's not something I might have thought of. Mm. Katrina mentioned that to me the other day, and I confess it hadn't really occurred to me either because in our uh, hearing, each of the witnesses were independent in in independent locations. Um, But it does sort of invite questions about how you present things on screen. And I've used this Mm. language before, and I think I might have mentioned it to Katrina the other day, that it, it requires lawyers to become sort of um, movie directors in a way that none of us would ever have imagined we'd have to. Mm. And, the, and the reason for that is because we are all subconscious consumers of the audiovisual medium. You know, mm. we all subconsciously understand what particular televisual tropes mean. We understand that when there's an extreme close-up on, in a TV show, it means this, or a wide shot shot yeah. from up or below means that this or that. We, we might not necessarily know it or be able to explain it that way, but, but subconsciously we understand what the message is being delivered. And so when you choose to frame yourself or your witnesses, uh, the people in the room with you in a particular kind of way, it conveys a message to the people who are watching it at the other end it's that you may or may not intend. Spin. It's a whole new spin on advocacy. Yeah, It's totally. like an arm of advocacy that, yeah. You would never have imagined you'd no. have to think about. And yet, in a way, I suppose I learnt that by observing what I regarded to be other people's mistakes. And I, I don't. I should hasten to add, not in the arbitration in case any of them are listening, <laughs> but in, in some of the court hearings I attended, one that really um, sticks out in, in my mind is there was a, a, one of my opponents had set up two screens, as mm. we, we all do, and the camera was on one of the screens, but for some reason my opponent had put the video of the judge on the other screen. And so unsurprisingly was looking at the screen with the picture of the judge. Oh. But the consequence of that meant we, the camera was doing an extreme close-up of my opponent's ear hole <laughs> for sort of two and a half hours. And, and the judge was too polite to say, Mr. X, you know, all I can see it's is like your It's like when I hole. speak to my mother on FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my dad <laughs> does awkward. that too. I get a lot of the roof and very little of the space. But, but you know, it's yeah. a, the, the point is an obvious one, but um, you, you become so consumed in the material, the documents, you, you forget that. The only way somebody can perceive you is what you permit them to see on the screen. When we're here in the room together... No one's focusing on you yeah, right. looking quite that hard. I yeah. can look here in my documents in my, my iPad and you, you can still see me. Mm. But if the screen, if all you can see is what's yeah. in my iPad, you don't see the rest of me. And so that's a, that's a choice that you can either make deliberately or inadvertently. And it can have a big impact, I think, on the way your message is conveyed to the other side. And going back to Petrina's point about having a good internet connection, it's even worse if all of a sudden your face freezes yeah. in a terrible, <laughs> in a terrible position, position. It always does, which right? happens and I've seen it. And and you think, goodness me, if, if you're in the middle of a hearing, 
God, that's unfortunate. And how do you, excuse me, while we pause, you've, you know, you're, you're frozen. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a consideration I think that obviously people had to deal with and work out ways to, I guess, get better at dealing with it. But yeah. it's certainly a distraction. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, we were all trained, those of us who participate in hearings of any kind, to, to minimise distractions. Mm. You know, we, we all sort of as part of the training to understand, look, don't sort of tap your specs, don't click pens, don't, you know, make mm. un- un- unnecessary noise when you're coming and going from the court. All that stuff yeah. is second nature. But this medium um, introduces different kinds of distractions. Yeah, yeah, and it totally is. It's unforgiving. Yeah. yeah. So can we talk a bit about document management? Because obviously I- I've done arbitration hearings previously, court hearings, um, where, you know, you have uh, law and order or mm. another provider. Um, E-law or something Epic, like that. Yeah. Um, where they control your documents and all your disclosure documents. You call out the number, it gets mm. flicked up on the screen. Does that work in the same way when you're doing your hearing electronically? It does pretty pretty much. So, again, we use Law and Order's document management platform and we uploaded all the documents up to there. And our document operator was actually based in Melbourne, I believe. Sydney or Melbourne? Maybe Melbourne. So again, bridge operator with us, document manager in Melbourne, listening just as well, uh, listening to the same hearing that we're going through. What it meant was we had to be incredibly organised with our documents. So I asked counsel at, at the end of each day to let me know what documents she thought she'd be referring to the following day. And as best we can, we had a list with our document numbers because there's just not the same forgiveness if something hasn't been uploaded. It's it's far more inconvenient. And how does that work? So, because in my mind, I'm thinking, goodness, how many screens do I need? Because I'm going to have a real-time transcript, presumably. I'm going to have the screen with everybody's face on it, the, the the decision maker, the witnesses, and then I'm going to have a screen with documents on it. Is that something that you do? You need three screens or more that and becomes a bit unwieldy? Because I'm you mentioned space. I can think, my goodness. The more screens, the better. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree with that. I, my own view is um, too many screens is never enough. Yeah, okay. And again, I think it depends on... I think it depends on what kind of person you are in terms of whether you're a visual person or not. I recognise that I'm a visual person. Mm. So my day-to-day working screen is a big one because I need to be able to see everything all at once. Um, Whereas I I have colleagues who work on laptops and seem never to find that troublesome. But my experience of it was I actually needed slightly different screen configurations depending upon what phase of the hearing I was in. So, for instance, when my opponent was opening... I didn't really care about anything other than seeing his face and having my computer in front of me where I could refer to the documents. Ours was all electronic, of course, too. Um, but then when the judge is involved in a period where I was making submissions, that, that was different. So I felt I, I needed to see the judge or the arbitrator on one screen. My opponent was in a smaller screen there. I had my own sort of speaking notes in one place. I had another set of documents there. I had sort of other documents over here. Um, and so I do think you need to give real thought to, well, what, what will the things I will need to have on the screen at any mm. one time? I, I need, you know, the documents that are being shown to everyone, mm. the, that are being operated by the document operator, the, the common set, 
probably you'll have your own private set. So in my case, there was the common set. So I needed to know what's being shown to everyone else. But of course, I had my own marked up copy. So I needed somewhere for that to be able to be looked at. Mm. Um, so you do need to give a bit of thought to that. And the other thing is, I think, for certainly for advocates or anybody who's doing the, the speaking, you need to give thought to where you're the things you're going to be looking at are by comparison to where the camera is. Mm. Because if the camera's sort of at eye height, uh, but your documents are down on the desk and you're going to be buried in the documents, it's of course much like being in court with somebody who's got their head buried in the lectern and all you ever see is the, the yeah. forehead. It's not particularly persuasive advocacy, but you at least have the, the benefit, I think, when you're together in person to be able to get a sense of mm. the humanity of the person. Whereas on a screen, uh, again, as I think we've already said, it's just unforgiving. And so you need to think about where things are going to go. Mm. Um, and I think it probably varies from person to person and probably from case to case. But again, I think the real point is it's just one of those things that you need to think about ahead of time and don't have it sneak up on you in the middle of the hearing and realise, gee, we really should have had another, <laughs> another yeah. screen here. Yeah. So how we did it was we had a big screen, a uh, projector screen mm -hmm. come down and we had, and it was on that screen that we had the arbitrator, the other side's counsel and any witness was just there and in front of us we had our document screens mm. and we made sure we put our, our camera so our counsel could look at the, the screen mm -hmm. and still be looking forward into the camera. Mm. Yeah. So she did have to turn her head a little bit when we were looking at documents, but she could look at the screen and talk at the same time. Mm. And we found that works really well. We're getting a little bit off document management, but just this thing about being unforgiving. One thing we did notice is we could really tell when the other side's barrister was unhappy with something <laughs> because <laughs> the camera was on his face all the time. Yep. And he had a couple of that you just the go. The tells. The tells yeah. where you go, oh, no, he's not happy with that point. Now, when you're in a room all together, you can sense every anyone who's done a trial know that it, it has its own life yeah. and the energy shifts from side to side depending on who's had a who's good... Who's landing blow. Who's landed a blow, mm. whose witness has done a good job, whose witness has done a bad job. You don't have that in a hearing an e-hearing to the same extent, but you do have a camera trained on your advocate's face mm. the entire time and that's something they need to be a little bit wary of and adopt a bit of a poker face. That leads into that same point about giving consideration to who will be in shot. Yeah. The, fewer, the fewer people that are in the shot, the less chance there is of somebody giving things away with their tells. I was involved in hearings where a very senior practitioner, somebody who would never be, um, you know, rude or, or impolite in person, was was sort of on camera behind counsel and I think probably thought they weren't in shot mm. but was sort of rolling his eyes and sort of scoffing and openly, oh, you know, tutting and whatnot. And it was so distracting. Mm. Um, I mean, it made you think, of course, that's impolite. But more to the point, we stopped listening to the advocate and were so distracted by the hilarity the of show what was going, going on, on behind. behind. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Um, but similarly, um, giving thought to who's physically proximate is the other one. So in my case, we were still in the height of the lockdown. And so I, in fact, commenced our hearing in my chambers on my own. Mm. Um, my instructors were in their premises. Mm. 
Um, so we weren't together. And what I was really conscious of was the fact that everybody was looking at me in extreme close up, but I didn't have them proximate to to immediately debrief with. So for instance, if I was asked questions that were sort of particularly hard or what have you, when you're in, together in court, you can sort of sit down and sort of have the sort of virtue aside to the person next to you and go, was that all right? Get a mm. post-it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, but in that context, it was really quite discombobulating to be on your own. And of course, what it required then was a means for um, instantaneous communication with counsel. Yeah. So a, a number of the hearings I've been involved with, people had, for instance, WhatsApp uh, messages um, going or Teams messenger or what have you which is great because it means you do have the immediate communication in a way that probably you don't in court. But it's also very democratic in that everybody can immediately say something to anybody or to everybody. And it's difficult to apprehend, do you think this is a 10 out of 10 level of importance point or is this like, you know, come to it when you get to it kind of thing? Um, And again, it's another one of those things which is really distracting but can sneak up on you if you haven't thought about it before you get to the hearing as to how you're going to manage those kinds of issues. I'm curious if you both think that these sorts of hearings are here to stay. Probably because there is a cost saving. Oh, yeah. A tremendous cost saving doing it this way. And I can talk about costs in a minute. I will say right up front that my starting position is that if you have the opportunity to do so, an in-person hearing is superior and the better way to go. But the virtual hearings are nowhere near as bad as I thought they'd be. So, uh, look, hopefully there's a vaccine next year. Hopefully we can start travelling. But particularly for international arbitrations where parties are actually in different countries, where you have um, the arbitral panel sitting in a different country, um, even now where we've got, as we did, um, as I said earlier, the other side were in South Australia. Our arbitrator was in Sydney. Our client in Melbourne. Our client was in Sydney. Um, where you have parties spread across the world or across the country, then yes, I think this will happen more often. Mm. And it was significantly cheaper. So when we first started pricing the arbitration, um, we had to put in obviously. This was before COVID started happening and before we appreciated the extent of the lockdown. We made inquiries with various venues around Brisbane as to where we could hold the the arbitration. And we were looking at realistically costs of around the $150,000, $200,000 mark just for the room hire, for catering, for, again, you'd still get a law or an order type service in or e-law or one of those organisations to help with um, electronic document management um, and transcript services. We were looking around that $200,000 mark. It ended up being for the... um, parties for this particular hearing about $30,000 because we were able to use our own premises. Mm. Minters was able to do its own catering. The only additional charge we had was the law and order guys coming in and doing the work. And so that's that was split between the parties, so $30,000 each, and I mean that's much cheaper. That's huge savings Mm. and particularly the arbitrations that I've been involved in, you have a panel of three coming from the UK, um, Mm. you know, far flung places around the world, uh, first class, staying in first class hotels, as is your team. Um, You're having the room hire, you're having 
epic law and order fly to wherever your seat is, mm. wherever your hearing's happening, and your witnesses. And, and it just adds up, adds up, adds up. Even just the plane fares, I mean, which if you're going overseas, typically, you know, you'll be, you'll be flying at the pointy end. Um, uh, it, it's interesting the, the effect that that will have, I think, on uh, the costs of um, arbitrations going forward. Because, I mean, previously the idea was arbitrations are, you know, they're affordable, they're cheap. Uh, and we all know that that's not entirely the case. Mm. Um, but when you change that fundamental dynamic of it, that's, mm. that's massive massive difference. It becomes a, and a thing, I think, which is hard to justify doing in a more expensive way. I mean, I agree with Petrina. It's, it's much better. It feels better as a lawyer to do it in person. It's yeah. preferable in every respect. But when it comes down to the kind of cost savings that can be had, and you're trying to rationalise that to a client, even if you're talking about a really high volume uh, quantum in dispute, mm. Just as a bottom line consideration, it, it doesn't make it. I wonder privately whether it's so much better to do it in person that it justifies Your the, cost, the cost difference yeah. and whether clients will ultimately have the view, well, I don't regard it as being better. And from, a, from my perspective, I mean, in my case, it, like Petrina's, it, it had people in a variety of different places. It was, of course, a construction dispute. So we had um, former employees of both sides who are now in various far-flung parts of the world. It would have cost a fortune for them mm. to come. And in truth, um, you know, it, it didn't... For me, would I have preferred to be cross-examining people in person? Yeah, of course, absolutely. I'm interested to know more about that. We'll come back to that. But but is it so much better? And, and really, were, were there so many issues of credit that, or credibility that ultimately turned on it that it justified the enormous amount of money that it would have cost mm. to have them come, to be accommodated, fed, all that stuff? Mm. Um, yeah, look, for me, I think we will see more of it. Um, and I think the cost will be cost will be the driver, and frankly, convenience. You know, in my case, the idea of spending six weeks away from home, you know, in a in a albeit nice hotel room somewhere, is still you know. I mean, you've seen one hotel breakfast, you've seen them all. It's not it's that true. glamorous, and <laughs> and frankly, also being away from your your office, the, the ability to to have all of your own resources at your fingertips and to continue to participate in a hearing that's happening somewhere else is a huge benefit. Uh, and and have your team nearby. You know, in my case, uh, if we were where we were meant to be, there would have been me and you know another lawyer or two. The way we conducted it, their entire team was still there available. All of their resources were able to be brought to bear. Um, so I think there are some benefits of it. And for that reason, I think even if we do get the vaccine, we won't have seen the end of appearances by video. Thanks so much, Matthew and Petrina. That concludes part one of our episode on online hearings. Uh, stay tuned for part two in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm.